Let's look at God's Word and see what God has to say to us. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of His disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. That's an amazing bit of fact there. Verse 20, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. And then his woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. The question I want to put to you this morning, and I think which is summarized in this passage, is this one. How can you and I experience life at its best? How can we experience life at its best? You see, the world says to you and I, what do they say? You look on TV, the internet, it says, buy this. You want to experience life at the best? Buy this. Have that. Look like this. Do that. Be seen with those people, but don't be seen with us. Experience this or that, and then you will live life to the best. That's what the world says to us. But what does God say? What does it mean to have a Christian lifestyle in this pluralistic, secularized world in which we live today? Jesus teaches us in this sermon, and I'm just summarizing the whole sermon in the sentence. Jesus teaches us that the truly blessed life, the one from God, comes not from getting or from doing, but from being. I'll expand on that. Jesus says that the truly blessed life comes not from getting or from doing anything, but from being. His emphasis on being in the shape of a godlike character. Having a godlike character. And if you want a godlike character, then firstly you have to be born of God. And so here's the gospel message once again, right at the beginning of this message this morning. If you are not born again, if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, then these blessings that we're going to speak about don't apply. Unfortunately, the woes that we speak about a little later will apply. So you need to listen up today if you're not a believer yet. 
If you want to live life to the full, you must be born of God. If you're not, you're only living a second-rate life. You see, it was very, very important for these newly appointed apostles and disciples to understand these principles as they set out with Jesus into what must have been to them a very, very uncertain future. Think of a man like Peter coming from a stable business background, catching fish, great commercial fisherman on that Sea of Galilee. And now he's called to serve with Lord Jesus Christ. Where's my income going to come from? Who's going to look after the business? What about my family? You see, these disciples were leaving, were starting to walk the walk with Jesus, but they were leaving all these certainties behind. They were leaving behind occupations. They were leaving behind employment. They were leaving behind them families who would most probably have been worried about where their money and their meals were going to come from. And so when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's speaking to people who have real concerns. And so he brings them these blessings. Furthermore, associating with Jesus Christ in that time meant that the religious authorities, and not just them, but the whole culture and the social system that went with religion, would become antagonistic towards these disciples and Jesus. And they already had people would start to ostracize them, push them aside, not want anything to do with them for following and serving Jesus. Many of Jesus' disciples would be persecuted later. The apostles would be persecuted and lose their lives. Just think of Paul. And so there was definitely a price to pay for following Jesus, as there still is today for you and I as believers. But Jesus comforts them in this passage with a hope that God will bless them and reward them if they fully trust Him. Those are the ones that God will bless and reward instead of the material things. You see, when what Jesus was saying, if you're going to trust on your material possessions, on your material income, and not on God, you won't receive God's blessing in your life. If you love others selflessly the way Jesus loves, then, says Jesus, you will receive God's blessing in your life. And yes, even during adverse circumstances. And not just that, you see, there's even more. Following Jesus in this way, selflessly following Jesus against all odds, would also testify to the world about the real change that Jesus makes in real time and in real situations. And that is such an important message for today as well. You see, when we trust Jesus Christ against all odds and the world would say we are mad, it testifies about the real change that Jesus makes in real time and in real situations. And that's what draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that testimony in our lives, you see. And so in this sermon that that we're going to look at this morning, also called the Sermon on the Mount, so those of you taking notes, this is a bit of background now. This was also called the Sermon on the Mount, described in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. But this one in Luke has been adapted for for Gentile hearers by Luke. And so he's writing to Gentile hearers. And so he doesn't describe everything that Matthew says. But this isn't two different sermons as some have written volumes about. It's the same sermon. 
And in the sermon, Jesus lays down the principles or the blueprint for living life at its best in all circumstances. You see, what Jesus does here is he focuses in on our attitude towards him as believers. I've already spoken to unbelievers. You need to come to the Lord. That's all I can say. But believers, what is your attitude before God? In all circumstances. That's what we're going to look at today. Secondly, Jesus carries on in his sermon, verses 27 to 38, which we'll look at another time. What is your attitude towards people? Thirdly, what is your attitude towards yourselves, verses 39 to 45? And then lastly, what is your attitude towards God, verses 46 to 49, if you want to live life towards at its, at its best? And so for this week, we're going to stand still on this question. What does a Christ-like attitude look like, here's the crunch phrase, in all circumstances? Not just when life is going very well. What is a Christ-like attitude, what does it look like in all circumstances? And there's a principle here for you and I, and it's this. How can we have the right attitude before Jesus Christ and be blessed even when our whole world is caving in on us? So everything's come against you, you've found your tax return and it's not what you thought it was. And at the same time, like me, you've had this massive account from Telecom because of a guy who stole your phone and now you've never seen an account that size. Alright? So all these things are caving in on you. How can I have the right attitude, a Christ-like attitude, and be blessed at the same time? That's the question. Let's just set the scene. We're going to step back a little bit. Remember last time we spoke, Jesus had been up on the mountain and how long had he been praying? The whole night before his father because he was appointing his apostles. He had come down from the mountain. He had met up with his disciples. He had appointed the 12 apostles and now he carries on a little bit down the mountain towards the crowds that he can see and he comes to this plateau or a flat place on the mountain and people have written volumes about was he down the mountain, was he up the mountain, halfway, it's crazy. He was just coming down the mountain, found a flat place where the people were gathered and that is where he gave the sermon. And the people in front of him, the masses, they're a mixture of those who believed in him, those who didn't believe in him, soldiers, religious leaders, prostitutes, tax collectors, the whole bunch all there to hear Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says they were there for three reasons. What were the three reasons? Can you see them in your text? They were there to what? Hear Jesus Christ. They were there to be healed. And they were there to be cured from unclean spirits. Those three things. Now, if you look clearly at those reasons why they were there, the crowds, they were there very much focused on who? Themselves very much centered on their own needs. You see, yes, Jesus was a great and challenging speaker. He was great to listen to, as long as you didn't kind of take it to heart too much. And anyway, there wasn't anything great on TV in those days. And so, he was a big attraction. So, let's go listen to Jesus. And yes, the people wanted to be healed. I can see that. I'm sick, I want to be healed. This man... He radiates healing power. I'll go get healed. But me centered. And yes, I've got this evil spirit in me. I don't want to live with it any longer and I know Jesus can heal me. I'll go and be healed. But I don't want to listen to what he has to say. And so it was very much focused in 
on themselves. Now, before we point the finger too much at the crowd, let's just stop here a little bit. What is your reason for being here today? Because I go to church on Sundays or are my friends, I'm going to catch up with them. Is it really because you want to worship the Lord that you are here? We've got to examine our attitudes too, you see. Are you here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? By listening to His Word, by responding in your heart, and by being available to be changed. Is that why you're here today? Look at that amazing statement at the end of verse 19. People were trying to touch Jesus for power was coming from Him and healing them all. Wow, I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd seen that. Here was the Son of God, the Son of God Himself, think about that, radiating healing power, and the people still don't recognize Him for who He really is, the Son of God. You see, they'd come to see Jesus as an object of healing for themselves. Something which helps me. Someone who helps me in my problems. And so, in a way, when Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 20, it doesn't say that in Scripture, and I have to be careful what I read in here, but for me it's as if he turns sadly to his disciples. He's seen the masses, he's seen their reaction to him, he's radiating healing power, and they're missing the point. And so he turns to his disciples, in case they're missing the point too, and he preaches the sermon of blessings, and judgments. You see, the word blessing, as the word uses it here, blessed are those, is an authoritative declaration of God's favor towards his own. It's saying, you are mine, I will bless you with the power that is in me, I will bless you. It's an authoritative declaration. And the woes that Jesus declares on people is also an authoritative declaration of God's judgment towards unbelievers and those who are disobedient. So when he says blessed and woe, those are authoritative statements saying, you are blessed because I'm God, I am judging you because I'm God. You get the difference? It's not just a bless you my son, bless you my daughter, it's not that type of thing. It's authoritative speaking from the Son of God. And so this morning, if you want to live life at the best, let's pay attention to only two blessings and woes, and we'll do two more at another time. What are these blessings and woes? Firstly, verses 20. Look at what it says. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So does that mean that poor people are automatically blessed? You see, the Catholic Church and other religious organizations and other religions have taught this, that if you are poor, <coughs> then you are blessed by God. Why have they done that? <coughs> you see, because they've wanted to keep people in bondage to a religious system. They've wanted to keep people paying endless penances, penances because there's money coming into the coffers. They've wanted people to go on pilgrimages because usually on these pilgrimages, money was involved in some way. They've taught people that poverty is a badge of holiness. It's not, you know, that's not what Jesus was saying here. Matthew 5 verse 3, which is the parallel passage, and you can flick there if you want to. Keep your finger in there, by the way. Matthew chapter 5, because I'm going to be referring there quite often. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 expands a little bit on this thought. 
and it brings out the real intent. Blessed are the poor in spirit, who, in their own opinion, when compared to God, that's what he's speaking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, what he's speaking about there is our own opinion of ourselves and that of to God. So when you look at yourself, how do you see yourself before God? Have you got a low opinion of yourself before God? Or are you quite someone, even when compared to God? In other words, are you poor to self and rich to God? Is what Jesus is saying. But yes, he's also speaking about actual poverty. In what way? Let's look at it. He says, blessed are you if you are poor for the sake of Jesus Christ. You get that? For the sake of Jesus Christ. And so what does he mean? He says, if you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ and by God's design you haven't got much, you've got enough to live on but you haven't got much, you're poor in other words, then blessed are you because you are serving the Lord first. And yes, you could be earning more, Peter. Yes, you could be earning much more, the Apostle Peter, with your fishing business. But you have been called by God and so you are now poor for my sake. Blessed are you. You see the application? And so when Jesus speaks these words, he is saying in a way that being poor can be a blessing. How can being poor be a blessing? Think about it. You see, when we are poor, it keeps our eyes on Jesus Christ and it weans us from a dependence on our own resources and strengths. As soon as we've got enough, enough to kind of keep ourselves going, we start looking to the almighty dollar instead of almighty God. We're so prone to do that as human beings, so very quick. And so I need to stop right here this morning and ask you, on what do you rely every week? Do you rely on the dollar or on Jesus Christ for your sustenance every week. You see, Jesus says, yes, even if you are poor, you are blessed because yours is the kingdom of God. You might be poor on this earth and have nothing, but yours is the kingdom, which speaks about masses, the, the kingdom of God, says Jesus. You are part of God's kingdom, and as the Apostle Paul later also expands, you are co-inheritors with Jesus Christ of that kingdom. Have you ever thought of that? Your bank balance might be close to zero or in a minus, but if you're a believer and in an obedient relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a co-inheritor of a kingdom which is not temporary but eternal. And that should put perspective on your life. And so I need to ask you this morning, even if you are going through hard times in these times of recession, and I pray that it's not of your own doing, it's not because you've made bad decisions or bad choices or blown everything you've got. If you're going through hard times, not of your own doing, but of God's doing, and you still look to God as your Abba, Father, the one who provides for you, and you still live an obedient life before God, then this promise applies to you this morning, then you are blessed by God. Now, in what shape or form is that? I have no idea. God knows. And He will show you in your life. 
But that is God's promise to you. You are a co-inheritor in His kingdom. You are rich in His kingdom. And so put your head up and say to yourself, I am a co-inheritor of the kingdom of God. Maybe we should say that together. If you're a believer here today, say with me, I am a co-inheritor of the kingdom of God. You've got an inheritance coming to you. That's amazing. Tell your bank manager. And now I can see Jesus has just been speaking to these disciples and the masses are around him and now he turns his attention to the masses. And this is what he says. Listen to these words and don't switch off because you're a Christian because there's warnings here for you and I as well. He says this, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation in full. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation in full. You see, as Jesus looks at the crowd, among the crowd would be rich, but there would also be poor, very many poor people. And so he can't just be speaking about riches. He's speaking to people about them still living for themselves. He just witnessed that when power was coming out of him and people were still looking to their own needs. He's speaking to people who are rich in themselves, still living for themselves and not for God, you see. Woe to you who are rich, but already you have already received your consolation in full. You see, Jesus is not condemning rich people. It's not wrong to have sufficient resources, as some have said. If you've got money, you must be evil. That was preached earlier. No. He's saying, if you recognize that your resources come from God, and you use your resources for God's kingdom, then you are still under God's blessing. As long as you recognize that. But woe to those, says Jesus, who trust in their riches instead of acknowledging the God who provides the resources. There's a very classic example in Scripture. If you flick to Luke chapter 12, verse 18, a little bit further on, there's the the parable that Jesus tells of the rich fool. The man who had a great harvest coming. It must have been good weather like this. The grain was beautiful and golden, and he gathers it in by the megaton. And his barns are too small. And so he says to himself, well, I'm going to have to build bigger barns to get all this crop in so that I, am, I can be even more wealthy. That's what I'll do. Tomorrow when I get up, I will build bigger barns. And look what he says, verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 12. Look what he says. This is the secret. I will say to my soul, soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, here's the key, and is not rich toward God. There's the secret, you see. And I must confess to you today, as the pastor of this church, I had to really search my own attitude in this as well. Because I'm also a man who likes the latest gadget. I'm also a man who wants bigger meter. I do. Go look at my shed. I'm also a man who sometimes thinks 
I can get by. I don't have to depend on God as much. You see, the question here is to you and I, what are we depending on? Is it on God? There's a a further point here, you know, when it comes to our riches. What do I use my riches for? Do I use them for God's kingdom? You know, churches, mission organizations are crying out for funding from Christians. Crying out year in, year out. You only have to look at our own little budget summary that we're putting. And please, I'm not putting a, what's the word here, a guilt trip on anyone. But this is the reality of things. We cry out for funding because it's needed for God's work. And yet I know myself, I go out and buy this, do that, go and trade me for this and that. And that is possibly money that I could have given towards God's work if I really look at my own attitudes. It shows my heart, you see. Am I rich towards myself and poor towards God? You see, Jesus warns the rich here, those who have this attitude, that they have already received their consolation. It's already been on earth, you see. You've received your reward. You've enjoyed your riches here. So why will I give you more one day, says Jesus? You haven't trusted in me. They will have already received their, cons- their consolation and will not be represented when God hands out his eternal award. You see, and this must have applied to some of his disciples standing in front of him. Because, remember, he had chosen the twelve, but there were also the wider group of disciples. Some of those had not yet fully counted the cost of following Jesus. Some of his disciples might not even have counted this cost of following Jesus. They were still holding on to the teachings of Jesus Christ with one hand and on to the the ways of the world with the other hand, not wanting to fully hold on to Jesus Christ, not wanting to put themselves fully behind Jesus Christ, as you and I might be today. And so this warning goes out to them. Are you rich towards God and poor towards yourself? Or do you depend on yourself and your own resources? You see, we are only rich in God's eternal kingdom and his eternal rewards. That is to be truly rich. And that's what Jesus is harping in on here. I want to just stop here for a minute and speak about a man called K.P. Yohanan. He's an Indian pastor. He grew up in poverty. The Lord called him into the ministry. And he started supporting pastors in India who were going out with a gospel message. And if you want to read more from this man, there are books on the back table that you can take free of charge written by this man. You know what he did? He was called to go to America to go and challenge the churches in America. And with some of those churches, he was not allowed back a second time. Why? Because he stood in front of those churches, he looked around at their fancy sound systems, he looked at their massive buildings that cost millions. And he said, what are you doing with your resources? You can see this wouldn't go down. What are you doing with this fancy sound system? This microphone that costs a few thousand dollars that I'm using. What are you doing with it? When God's people are crying out in my country, India, for resources, they cannot take out the gospel message because they are starved. They haven't got food for their families. They don't know what's coming into their mouths day by day. And yet we've got all this. How dare we? And they didn't invite him back. 
But it's true. It's true. I think of the situation in Ethiopia, and you'll hear plenty of Ethiopia. The Lord will work it out of me over a few years, I think. But you see there, I've seen believers who've hardly got anything. And yet they will go walking 250 plus kilometers to share the gospel with people. And yet I go down the road and I buy a latte for 450 or whatever that is. And I don't think twice about it. It's a real challenge on me, this passage. I'd really ask you to see what the Lord is saying in your heart with your spending habits before Him. Let's see what God does in and through this church. We come to the second blessing, and I hurry along here. Blessed are you, verse 21, who hunger now, for you shall be fully satisfied. I'm going to read that from the full verse here. Verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And the the original there is fully satisfied until you want no more. You see, standing in front of Jesus that day would have been hungry disciples. I mean literally hungry disciples. that left their families behind, their resources. And going with Jesus meant that sometimes you were hungry. What did Jesus himself say? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Didn't he say that? And so going with Jesus meant that sometimes you had to pull in that belt of yours and just grin and bear it a bit. But did their being hungry make them holy? Now you see, some religions teach this today, today, and specifically in India. Some teach that if you seclude yourself and become a hermit and starve yourself half silly, half unconscious, then you will be really holy. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's a misapplication of this truth. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, you are blessed if you are hungry, here it is, as a result of following me. In other words, having given up your livelihood to serve me, speaking to his disciples in front of him. Matthew 5 verse 6, flick there again, expands on the thought. It says this, Blessed are you who hunger, here it is, you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. In other words, blessed are those who hunger and yearn for forgiveness of sin. Blessed are, and blessed are those who hunger and yearn for a peace of mind and heart. Blessed are those who hunger and yearn for purity and holiness. Blessed are those who hunger and yearn for fellowship with God. Blessed are those who hunger and yearn to see people converted, to see the lost brought to Christ, to see people growing in the Lord Jesus Christ in their walk with Him. Blessed are those ones, the, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those to see righteousness applied in our community, to see righteousness applied as injustices are corrected in our society. Blessed are those, says Jesus. Blessed are those who do something about it. You see, it's very practical. Those ones who yearn for those things, says Jesus, will be fully satisfied. And the word used here is for when you take so much in that your cup runneth over. You get what I'm saying? There is no more space. That is the blessing that Jesus is speaking about here. And who can do this? Can your money do this to you? Very temporarily. 
You see, Jesus is the only one, God is the only one who knows us to such an extent who can fill our soul with this peace and with this satisfaction till our souls feel as if they are bursting. They can't take any more. Only God can do that if we live in obedience before Him. And then He says this, the last woe. Verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. That's different. You shall be hungry. You see, he's speaking to the crowd here. He's saying, yes, I might have met your needs now. Yes, I might have fixed your body now. And you are satisfied. But it is only temporary. You will hunger again. If you don't come to me. If you don't listen to my message. Take it to heart. And live lives that glorify God. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 18 verse 15. And Isaiah chapter 22 verse 13. The Bible describes the world's attitude to life. And I've mentioned it already this morning. It's this. This is the world's attitude. Eat, drink and be merry. For tomorrow you die. Plain and simple. You only need to look on TV news and see our whole binge drinking culture to see it. You only need to look at the masses of cooking programs that are on today. And they all point to how to do, excuse the thing now, quail's eggs in 75 different ways so that you're satisfied. Reminds me very much of the Roman times just before the fall of Rome, isn't it? You see, the world's attitude today is eat, drink and be merry because there's no tomorrow. So I might as well just enjoy today. But you see, spiritually, those who have set their hearts on earthly pleasures are going to discover in the end that, how did the Bible say, all is vanity. Their spirits are stuffed so full of this world's junk and attitudes that all desire for God is lost. People's attentions are so taken up by these things. They don't even think of God. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. You see, here comes the call of the gospel to you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ today, he says this. Unless you are converted, says Jesus Christ, unless you turn from the ways of the Lord to the ways of God, he says, when you die, and you will die, unless Jesus comes first, when you die, says God, you will wake up and be very hungry. Not physically hungry, but you will face the never-ending future in hell with a maddening ache that can never be satisfied. It will eat into your soul. It will never stop. A burning thirst that can never be quenched. A ravenous hunger that can never be alleviated. Why? Your soul will thirst for God, but He will not be found. It's too late, you see. And you will think of those moments in your life when you heard the gospel, but you turned away. It will eat into you for eternity. I don't know what that's going to be like, but it's terrible. And the Bible says to you this morning, through the words of Jesus Christ, woe to you. It's an authoritative declaration. Judgment is on you if that is your attitude, says Jesus. If you're an unbeliever here today, I plead with you. And I know amongst us, there are those who have not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They, will, they are here. You see, you may be living life to the max. You may have all the popularity teenagers that you ever wanted in your life. 
You may have all the gadgets, men, that you ever desired, that your heart wanted, and everything may be going to use a Kiwiism, fluffy ducks for you. But Jesus warns you and I today, beware, woe to you. This life is just temporary with its pleasures, its fortunes and its parties. The woes of God's judgments come into play as soon as your life ends and eternity starts for you. Are you ready? And so the plea of the gospel comes to you this morning. Today, if you hear this message, come to Jesus Christ today and receive new life in Him. And if you do, these judgments will be put behind you and you will receive on yourself the blessings that Jesus has just been talking about and they will come on you with His authority on your life. You will receive His blessings. And so I plead with you today, start living life at its best by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer here today, this is for you. And, that, and then I'll end. I'm speaking to believers now. If you want immediate wealth, if you want immediate fullness of life, if you want laughter now and popularity, you can get it. You can get it. But there's a price to pay. And what is that price? You'll be satisfied with this world, but when you stop living in this life, it'll be over. That's the price. And I have to ask you as believers today, are you willing to pay that price? You see, it's a real question to us because we have the temptations of the world coming our way, the pleasures of the world, the adverts coming our way, and it's so important to click yes, 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 buy, 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 sell, sell. It's very real. I've been there, done that, still doing it. But is it worth it? Should I rather not be looking at how do I spend my life, my resources for Jesus Christ? You see, there's a bigger and more eternal picture here. But what that means is holding less tightly to the things of this world and holding tightly to Jesus Christ holding less tightly to the things and the values of this world and making sure that my attitude towards Jesus Christ and the way I live before the world and before Jesus Christ is an attitude and a way of life which is an obedient one, both in my attitudes and in the way I practically live the kingdom of heaven life now before God. Are you doing that? Here is God's blessing to you this morning, if you are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Here's the second blessing to you today. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. I pray that the Holy Spirit will do His work in you as he has been doing in my life as well. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we could be gathered here this morning and we could be hearing all kinds of nice and sweet messages that are untrue. But Lord, thank you for this message from you yourself, Lord Jesus. That we will be blessed if we are poor in our attitude towards ourselves. 
and rich towards you in everything that we do. That we will be blessed if we hunger for righteousness and thirst for righteousness and not the things of this world. And Lord, now the challenge is on our lives. Are we living these lives before you? Or are we going through the motions of saying we do that our lives tell a very different story? Lord, may you bring our lives into line with what we say we believe. And then we will receive your blessing in our lives. And it might not be financial, but it will definitely be spiritual. And one day we will inherit that kingdom which you have promised to us as co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. And for eternity we will be fully satisfied in you alone. Lord, thank you that we know too from your word that we can't do this ourselves, but that we can only do this through the power that you give to us. But Lord, you've also promised that you've sent your helper and that we have to only live life with him and allow him to work through us and in us. And then you will be glorified and we will be blessed. Do your work in us as a church body here at Wangnui East, we pray. Amen.